That was scary, huh? Yeah, well, being filled with the Holy Spirit is not scary, but it is powerful. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Uh, it's good to be together. We just got back from a family vacation, but before I just mention that, Dean Jernigan, I wanted to give you a shout out this morning. Dean was uh, back in the church, back in the 70s, right, Dean? Living out in the West Coast, coming back. It's good to see old friends who are still following on with Jesus, so good to have you with us this morning. Um, and we just got back from our vacation in Arkansas, and remember you say Arkansas is underrated. You know, whoever vacations in Arkansas, I don't know, but it is a beautiful state, and it was a great time for my family to disconnect from the daily activities, the daily responsibilities, and to connect with my family, uh, my three boys, came in from different parts of the countries, and the wives, and especially my three beautiful granddaughters, and we had a great time wrestling and singing and walking and eating and just having a great time as family. You know, I thought about it, I thought, you know, it's easy for family simply to just go. And they just establish life somewhere else, and... My heart and my prayer for my family, but also for your family, is that those relationships really matter. And in order to keep them intact, it takes investment. How many of you know that? It takes strategic, I mean, we have some, must have planned this time away for like a year to get schedules to all work together. And then it took an investment of time. It took an investment of money, rented an Airbnb, all the food, all the travel. It took all of that, but let me say it's well, well worth it. And my heart and prayer is that the relationships in your life, that you would invest in them. That you just look and say, how, what can I do to invest in the relationships that really matter? How many know that families are kind of messy? You know, every family can say, oh, let me tell you about my family. We all have things that are a little bit messy, and that's okay. They're still precious. And one of the greatest challenges, am I really hot here, Jeff? Really, really sounds really loud here. Um, I could whisper and you'd all eat it. Um, one of the greatest challenges that you'll ever have in your life is establishing and maintaining healthy long-term relationships. One of the greatest challenges, and it gets, it's harder and harder as our society moves into independence and moving different directions and I just say, invest in the relationships that matter to you. Look for ways. I don't know what it is, but it's text, it's money, it's vacations, it's investing in the people that matter to you because that's really where the richness of life is. I would look at Josh. You know, we're not a moneyed family. But Josh has these three little girls. And I go, Josh, you are a rich man. You are. It goes, oh, I'm the richest dad. I got these three little girls. And I go, you are. And may we invest in what is really important in our lives. Um, let's open in prayer. Father, I thank you for your Holy Spirit. We read about in your scriptures, but particularly in Acts. And I thank you, Lord, for your transforming power. Lord, you turned water into wine. You turned death into life. And Father, I thank you. You can even take our troubles, our pain, and our suffering, and you can build them and transform them into something truly beautiful, God. Be with us as we open your word this morning in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Amen. 2021, the Lord has spoken to us. It's a year of being empowered. A year of being empowered by the Holy Spirit. And here's my take home. I'm going to start it off right from the top. That God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, can bring good out of your pain and suffering. I say it again. God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, can bring good out of your pain and suffering. So one of the big and difficult questions is the question you hear over and over through generations. If God's so good, right? If God's so good, then why are there earthquakes and tsunamis and famine? And you may even ask this question when contemplating things that are much closer to home. Why doesn't God Almighty just step in and protect us from all those big bad things? That's what I'd do if I was God. I'd have no more famine, no more problems in the world, right? We kind of think we know better than God. Where it re- when it comes home, it's one thing to talk about those big issues of life, but it really becomes much more difficult when it's your life, right? When your life has pain, when your life has suffering, when you lose a job, sick, when someone near to you dies, when things don't go as you've had laid out and planned, then it's hard. And we say, we ask these questions. We ask these questions. So let's open our Bibles and see what the Word of God has to say today. Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 8. Acts chapter 8. I'm going to start one verse earlier, just in context here. End of chapter 7. We've just read about, two weeks ago we talked about the stoning of the Apostle Stephen. And we read in end of 7, And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul, later known as Paul, but here he's, he's named Saul. And Saul approved of Stephen's execution. He was a part of it. He was complicit. And there arose on that day a great persecution. Say that with me, great persecution. Great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to Samaria, proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowd with one accord paid what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Okay, so the Apostle Stephen, remember Stephen, right? The man, the scripture says he was full of faith, full of the Spirit. He was a worker of miracles. And for being such a great guy, he was hated. 
He was hated for doing wonderful things. Kind of seems backwards, doesn't it? And he had just been stoned to death by a mob. I don't know if you've ever been in a mob. I've been near some mobs. Um, in third world countries, mobs can spring up quickly. And they are frightening things. There's no rationalization. There's no speaking to them. They're just, there's a craze that comes over a mob. And Stephen had been killed by a mob, but this was a mob of religious leaders. Not just street people, uneducated. These were the most educated. These are the people like the Pharisees who were called to teach the world about God. These were the Sadducees who were called to lead people to faith in the one true God. This was the Sanhedrin, which was the Jewish council. These are the people called to lead the nation. And these guys formed a mob and stoned Stephen to death. They murdered him all in the name of God. I'm going to take a sidelight here for a minute. When a pastor or a priest or a Christian leader or someone who is to lead you towards good, towards the Lord, when they fail, when they sin, or when they mistreat those they've been called to care for, to pastor, to shepherd, it is a horrible thing. It's a horrible thing. It's horrible for multiple reasons. One, it's horrible because someone has been deeply hurt and scarred, right? That's horrible in itself. Secondly, it's horrible because great harm is done to the name of Christ. It's one thing when some bad person shoots somebody. That's bad. That's horrible. People hurt. But it's, it's somehow much worse when someone who is called to be a leader, an example, to guide us towards the Lord. And the name of the Lord is harm. But equally tragic is those who respond to this the failure of a Christian leader as a reason or an excuse to walk away from the Lord. I've seen it happen way too much. And what they do is they say, well, I was following Jesus, but then pastor somebody or this leader hurt me. They said something. They mistreated me. And I am not here to justify any mistreatment in any way, shape, or form. But I think there's been a mistake in those who walk away. Either they're looking for an excuse, or they have confused their Christian leader with God himself. Remember, when someone falls, it is just that. It is the failure or the sin of a man or a woman. But we must never confuse the failure of a Christian leader with the truth of God's word. We must never confuse those. If we put any leader up at that level where their failure would destroy our faith, then we've put people on the wrong, wrong platform. When I hear people say, I'm walking away because this person did that, I'm thinking, no, 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 no. I remember working the situation, I won't go into it, but where a pastor fell into sin, and somebody came to me and said, 
but I received Christ under their ministry. Am I really saved? I said, who saved you? Well, Jesus saved me. I said, Jesus is doing great. I'm sorry that this guy has gone off, but Jesus saved you through a human, through the ministry of somebody, and it's always that way, isn't it? It's always that God uses broken, sinful people. And by the way, there's no announcement coming here, by the way. Because anybody wonders, I'm not talking about any situation here today. I'm just saying that there's broken human people that God uses for his glory, and we should never get those confused. If your trust is in a church or an institution or in a leader, then you, my friend, your faith is on shaky ground. Even your parents, even people, our trust must be in Christ. The scripture says, I know in whom I have believed, right? And that whom is in Christ. That's what Bobby was singing about, our worship team. My hope is in you, Lord. And that's where we find our confidence. That's where we find our foundation. And please be sure that when you put your trust in Christ, it's in Christ. And may the leaders that God lead you, leads you with be those who lead you in the direction and in integrity and in righteousness. But our faith is in Christ. So I circle back here to Acts chapter 8. The religious leaders had just violently murdered. They hadn't just done bad. They had murdered a beautiful and godly man named Stephen. I can't think of a thing they could have done more harmful, more sinful. And how did the new believers, you got to remember, this is a church of 5,000 new believers, right? Nobody's been in the faith for 30, 40 years. These are new believers. How did they respond to this horrible sin? Did they shake their fist at heaven? Did they take Job's wife's advice? Just curse God and die. Or did they accuse God of being unfair and unloving? Did they turn their backs on God and walk away and say, if this is how God's going to treat his leadership, then I'm out. But they didn't do any of that. Let's see what they did. The first thing they did after Stephen was stoned to death is they grieved. They grieved. It says in verse 2, devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. You ever been around great lamentation? Like, I was in some funerals where there's great lamentation, weeping and wailing loudly. It's quite an experience to be in those situations. And the Jews have never been known of being shy. I think when they made great lamentation, they wept. They wailed. They had lost a friend, a leader, a brother in the faith. And you know that the Jews prohibited other Jews from mourning the death of a heretic or a blasphemer. You could not mourn them, but the, the leaders didn't care. They mourned, they wept for their friend Stephen. And may I just say, folks, that it's okay to grieve. Let me just say stronger than that. There are times where it's right to grieve, where it's 
good to grieve. It's necessary to grieve. It doesn't make you less Christian to grieve the loss of someone you dearly love. We want that our faith is very real, and when something really painful happens, it's okay to grieve. It's okay to miss and to me, when I, when I grieve things, it's because normally because I've really lost someone that I love deeply. I hope my grief wouldn't be over an object that is lost. If I lose a car, a car, right? You lose something, you don't want to grieve over the loss of an item. But people matter. And when we've lost people who are very dear to us, it's Grieving is part of our walk through this life. But the scripture says we grieve, but not as those who have no hope. So they grieved, but they didn't stay in their grief. What's interesting, in this situation, what was the second thing they did? The church was being ravaged, and they scattered. They fled. They ran for their lives. Now, some people... Some Christians would say, well, they shouldn't have done that. They should have just trusted God and stayed in Jerusalem. But I think there's times to use our heads. What do you think? There's, if, somebody, if somebody walks in this church with a gun, folks, there are doors here and there and there. Run. Get out. That's just called good common sense. And the church... Had, was being ravaged by Saul, and they fled. They fled. See what was happening here. The church was under siege. Saul, who later became Paul, was hunting down those who were followers of Christ. I can't imagine a more difficult time in life than if some people were out there hunting us down. Authorized, stamped, approved to hunt down the people of this church or any church it would be terrifying. Paul was hunting them down and dragging them out into prison. Men, women, and children, many or most who were beaten, tortured, and put to death. Stephen was the first martyr, but he was certainly not the last. Many, many more were martyred for their faith in Christ. And Just imagine, we sometimes put people up in these super spiritual realms, but imagine the fear that these people would have had. If you don't know who's coming to your house today to drag you off and throw you into prison, there would be great fear. And so they, in the cover of night most likely, or whenever they got up and they fled. It says in verse 1, they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. So Philip went to Samaria and others went to Judea. And Acts eleven nineteen says, Some who were persecuted traveled to Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. You know, they had to leave their homes, their jobs, their families. They had to go into, I mean, you can see here, Jerusalem there on the right, and they went. They fled probably to family, to other towns, but they were out running for their lives. And although they left their homes, families, and lands, languages, cultures, they left their world 
they did not leave their newfound faith in Christ. And hear an amen? They didn't turn their back on the Lord. As they went, they preached the gospel. And the word of God was preached throughout the world. The gospel, the good news, went to lands far away. And I just can't help but hear the words of Christ. It even the towns it mentions in the scripture. The words of Christ in Acts 1.8. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This was their command. This is where you're going to go preach the gospel. And Christ had told them this for many reasons many of them seemingly good reasons, they were told to go and they stayed. It's hard to go. A lot of reasons for us to stay where we are. But they were called to go and they stayed until what? Until persecution hit. And then their motivation became much greater. And they went and they went to where? Some stayed in Jerusalem, but most went to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And the word of God was fulfilled. So some would look at this, say, okay, Jesus said they were going to go. They didn't go. So God sent persecution. Some would say this. God had Stephen stoned, people drug out of their homes, people imprisoned, people murdered. He made it really hot so that they would go, so that the gospel would expand. Some would say God designed and orchestrated all this pain and suffering so that the word of God would spread throughout the world. But I wouldn't really see it that way. Um, some would. We get to heaven, we'll figure it all out. Right? But that's not just the way that I see it. I don't think that's the way the scripture teaches it. What I do see is that God does not protect us from all pain and suffering. You learn that in your walk with Christ? You don't come to Christ and everything perfectly, everything goes perfectly well in all areas of your life for the rest of your life. John 16, words of Christ. In this world, you will have tribulation. It's a promise. Hallelujah. Tribulation. 1 Peter 4, 12. Beloved, don't be surprised when the fiery trial, at the fiery trial when it comes upon you, as if something strange were happening to you. That's a part of our life. Sometimes... Harder than at other times. But what I really want to say this morning is never forget that God is our great Redeemer. God is amazing in his ability to redeem pain and suffering. When we trust him with our lives, when we trust him with the problem you're walking through, with the pain that you're carrying, with the disappointment with that which weighs you down. 
God is able to take the pain of this world and redeem it for good. He's able to take the things that hurt us and bring life and good out of that which was bad. Romans 8.20 know that God causes all things to work to good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. One more time. We know that God causes all things to work together for good. This verse does not say that all things are good. It says he can take the things that are difficult and are not good, and he can work them together for good for those who are called according to his purposes, which is you and me. Amen? So the Sanhedrin, we move back to Acts 8, the Sanhedrin determined to wipe out Christianity. Persecuted the church, killed the saints, imprisoned innocent people. Their suffering was profound. But the church remained true to the Lord, and God brought great good out of evil. You might say to me, well, but Kent, some of those people died. Yeah, they did. But death is not the end. And nor is it the worst thing. And my prayer for me, my prayer for those who are following Christ this morning, is that even in your death, there be great glory and there be advance of the kingdom through your death. That God would say, in your death, he was glorified. My mother's funeral, there was great, there was glory given to God in her death. I say, hallelujah, that's what I want my life and death to be. That's what Billy Graham's wife did when she was figuring out where she wanted to be buried. She said, I want to be buried here. The family said, no, at the family plot. She said, no, somebody might come to my gravesite and read a few things that I've written, and it might touch their lives, and they might be inspired to carry on with the gospel. That's where I'll be buried. Even her burial plot was chosen out of, I want to see glory come to the Lord through my life and through my death. One of the fathers of the church, Tertullian, said the blood of the martyrs became the seed of the church. It's a good way to see it. The blood of the martyrs, pain, suffering, loss, even God used that for the birth and the expansion of the gospel, which we're beneficiaries of today. I want the worship team to come on back up. Really, the message is pretty simple today. Acts 8 gives us a very clear story of great pain and suffering and how God transformed it for tremendous glory and tremendous blessing. I just want to bring it home as we close this morning and say, what is that difficult thing in your life? Is it a sickness? Is it a broken relationship? Is it a difficult family situation? Financial difficulty? I'm sure the list goes on and on. What the Lord's been challenging me is is to say, let's take those things, just put aside any books or whatever you have on your lap, 
And would you be willing with me today to just put your hands before you and say, I give you that which pains me. That which has hurt me. Maybe God's disappointed you. Can you give that back over to the Lord? I think as we bring our pain, our reality, our grief, they had to, I'm sure they brought the death of Stephen to the Lord saying, Jesus, friend Stephen, brutally murdered. As they brought these things, to, instead of turning from him, they brought them, the pain to the Lord. And God brought good out of evil. Brought life out of pain and suffering. And when we do that, I think it's such a great way to just wage spiritual warfare against the powers, the, the enemy powers that would come to destroy us. Went to destroy Jesus and out of that evil destruction, crucifixion of Jesus, life and salvation comes to the world. And that's a good model for us. And I just say, what is it that we need to bring to the Lord this morning? Just hold that in your hand before the Lord this morning. I want to pray for us. Jesus, we know that the enemy wants to destroy us. And that in this world, there is great tribulation. There's pain. There's hurt. Just through walking through this world or through people that have hurt us, that things that have harmed our souls. But Father, we thank you that you are greater. That Father, greater is he that is in me, in us, than he that's in the world. So Father, we take that which has been meant to destroy us and we bring it to you this morning. We take that in which we're disappointed and hurt. And we present that to you, Lord, in faith, saying that, Lord, we look to you. We say that you are greater. And we ask, God, that by your word that you would transform those things for your glory. That, Father, you would bring good out of evil that you would bring life out of death, that you would bring salvation out of those who are lost, that you would bring healing out of sickness. That, Father, as we see beauty for ashes, Lord, we'll give you all the glory. We'll give you all the praise. So, Father, we take those things and we just lift them up to you, God. We thank you, God, that as we trust in you, your transforming power is released to change things in our lives, God. Our eyes are focused on you. We trust in you, God. We thank you, Lord, that your word is true. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand. Close worshiping the Lord this morning. And if you're new to us, if you're a guest with us this morning, I'd love to greet you. I'll be out at the Welcome Center by the front doors. And if there's an area you'd like someone to pray with you this morning, 
something's been stirred in your heart, you want prayer, you want someone to seek the Lord with you, right through these doors back here, we'll have a ministry team ready to pray, pray with you. We want to see people's hearts and lives touched that we can become all that God has us to be. Amen? Amen. Let's sing and we're free to go and God bless you. Have a great day here in the beautiful weather.